following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Many of you know I am a, I'm a KU basketball fan. Many, I haven't talked about it much this year. Not that I keep my mouth shut. It's just been kind of a rough year. It has. Um, they... They now don't get me wrong. Their their win loss record's pretty good. It's KU after all, but it's not quite as good as usual. And um, they've had some rough spots here. Some different things happen: injuries, eligibility issues, several different things. But I will tell you this: in this somewhat kind of a rough year, there has been some incredible bright spots. And one of those bright spots is comes in the name of of a young man, a freshman basketball player, true freshman. His name is. And, <laughs> This is almost like saying biblical names, all right, when you just put it out there because nobody's going to question you because they don't know how to pronounce it either, okay? Um, Now, I listen to the KU radio broadcast quite often, so if the KU announcers, radio announcers are right, I'm right, all right? This young man's name is Ochai Abaji. That's his name, and it might sound like he's from some crazy place in the world. He's from Kansas City, Missouri, which is a very crazy place in the world, all right? Uh, so very much kind of a, of a local kid. Um, the amazing thing about this young man is he was not at all highly recruited, completely overlooked by just about everyone, um, and somebody, word just got slowly to, to the KU staff about this young man who, who, was, who was very lowly rated, like he was rated like when they started looking at him, like 300th recruit in the nation. Um, he, fast forward to this year, Bill Self, which now he says, he's the, he's the coach, he says, this was a huge mistake and I don't know how I could have missed this, but he redshirted him. He redshirted him, well, because of Injuries, several different things. He had to pull his red shirt and start playing him. And this young man went from a red shirt to a starter on the team, and now he's begun entering draft projected draft boards um, next year. I, I mean, it is amazing this this rise from unknown, and it, he he is he's probably the most inner, one of the most entertaining players on the team. Has incredible attitude, plays defense hard. He can jump out of the gym. He can shoot. He can do it all. You're like, where did this kid come from? And you know what? When you see, if you're a sports fan like me. Even if it's not, you, you like stories like that. You like to hear those stories of someone going from, from, from unknown to star, and it's like it comes out of nowhere. I mean, completely out of nowhere. And the thing that's interesting about this is we can find stories like that in Scripture as well. And one of them we're going to look at today. Last week, um, JB opened up this series in Daniel for us. And he went about it in in this way. This is as I was jotting down notes. This is what sunk into me as JB was preaching last week. This is what he had for us right out of Daniel 1. This, learn to be okay with what you cannot control. That's very important. All right? And control what you can. Okay? Those things are very important. And... um, This is how Daniel and company, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this is how they excelled in an incredibly tough situation that they found themselves in, in Babylon, by controlling what they knew they could, and the things that they couldn't control, they were okay with that. They were very much okay with that, and they were willing to submit to the authorities over them, even when those authorities weren't the greatest, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today. So, JB kind of started that off for us last week, and when we left last week, 
Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego had just kind of come out of the Babylonian training and, and they are now a part of the, for lack of a better terminology, the advisory board of King Nebuchadnezzar. All right, he is the king of Babylon. And probably sometime today you'll hear me say it, Nebuchadnezzar, sometimes Nebuchadnezzar. It's the same guy. They're not twins. All right, sorry, that just comes out of my mouth a little differently sometimes. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump right in the middle of it in Daniel chapter 2. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse. We don't have time for it, okay? But there's some things that we need to read here. Um, let's look first of all, Daniel chapter 2, kind of right in the middle of your Bible. You'll find it near the end of the Old Testament, verses 1 through 5. And this is what it has to say. Now, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream. My spirit is anxious to understand the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made into a rubbish heap. Wow. Um, He woke up, definitely woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Okay? Okay. Let me tell you a little bit about this advisory board of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Typically, the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans, your Bible might say something a little bit different. What that literally was, was the master astrologers, okay? And typically, they would deal with omens or dreams, and it was their job to take these things that would take place and gather from them what the gods are trying to communicate to men, and specifically here, the king. These people are not receivers of revelation. That is not in their job description. Okay, their job description is to take this omen, take this, take this dream. This is interesting. Do you know how they did this? You're going to love this, all right? These... King advisory board, okay? These guys are high up, and this is how they would, this is how they would interpret omens or dreams. They would look at sheep livers. Yes, that's one of the things they would do. Look at sheep livers, and by the shape of the sheep liver, interesting. You guys, you guys do this on your farm? You look at sheep livers? Okay, all right. Um, look at these sheep livers, and looking at those, they would, they would, I'm sorry. I don't know how accurate some of this stuff I'm getting. What this? I know it's very clear that that's what they did. They used sheep livers to interpret omens and dreams. Okay, how they did that, I don't know. Throw it on the wall, whatever shape it made. I have no idea here. Okay, but that is one of the ways. They also abnormal births. If you have an ox, a two-headed ox that's born, oh, it's going to be bad two years from now. Okay, now I'm just kind of throwing that out there. It was their job to take these things. And they also use the more that we've kind of heard of, kind of enters the story we talked about of Jesus and the nativity, they would see the stars, all right? And the stars 
would tell them things that would might be coming for the future. They would interpret these things. That was their job. It was not their job to tell the king what his dream was. He's supposed to tell them the dream. They would then interpret it. That's the way it worked. But this is the thing. King Nebuchadnezzar refused to show his hand. He's like, no. I tell you what the dream is. You can say whatever you want. You tell me what I dreamed. I'm just going to tell you right up front. That's not fair. (laughs) Okay? That was not these guys' jobs. That's not what they were put on the advisory board for. That's not what they were for. But now they're in a tight spot because the king just doesn't say, I'm going to kill you. What do you say? You will be torn limb from limb. Everything you own will be reduced to nothing. And by the way, when you bring up the homes, you're bringing up families too. This is, this is hardcore here. And they tell the king, we can't do this. That's not our job. He doubles down on it. He tells them again, you tell me the dream or you will die. Now we're going to fast forward here a little bit. Matter of fact, King Nebuchadnezzar says, you're stalling, you're bluffing because you cannot... You cannot perform the request I'm telling you to perform. I'm the king, all right? As we will find out in the chapters to come, he had a very high view of himself, all right? And he's like, you do this for me. You do it for me. Now, let's jump down to verses 10 and 11 because this is so very important to our story here. The Chaldeans, remember, those are the astrologers, the master astrologers, those who look at the stars, And find out what the future holds. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. Inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. And there is no one else who could declare it to the king except gods. Whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Keep in mind here, guys, these advisors were right. King Nebuchadnezzar, he was being completely unreasonable with this request. And with this threat, I am quite sure that it was a valid threat. And these guys' lives were hanging in the balance. Verse 12 makes it very clear. Because of this, the king became indignant and was very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And folks, this is where it gets really, really good. Okay? Um, Apparently, at this point in time, this is very early in the advisory career of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and apparently they're still on the JV team. Okay, because they hadn't even heard what's going on here with this. They're just they're just chilling out in the advisory board room. I don't know. Okay, and and they haven't heard what the king has said. The matter at hand. So let's read about it a little bit more. Uh, Verse verse thirteen. We're going to be in verse thirteen, and and we'll read down through verse eighteen. Says this. So the decree went forth, and the wise that the wise men should be slain. They looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard. It was this guy's job to round these people up and kill them. 
Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. And he said to Arioch, the king's commander, For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? See, Daniel had no idea what was even going on. Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter. And that is the Babylonian names for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He informed them about the matter so that they may, might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. And so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So what we have here, we have the Chaldeans terrified, all right? The king's advisory board, they realize when the king makes threats like this, he makes good on them, and they are terrified. It's seemingly that Arioch, the king's bodyguard, captain of the bodyguard, he doesn't want to fulfill this request. He understands that the king's a little bit cuckoo, okay? I mean, that's, he just is, all right? His power went to his head, and he's like, this doesn't make sense, but the, 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 the command came from the king. If he doesn't perform the command, he will be on the other end of the king's command and be torn limb from limb himself. So he's, he's seeking out the people, to, and they shows up to Daniel, and look at this response in the midst of this chaos, all right? We have Daniel, calm, patient, filled with tact, and full of wisdom. Arioch comes to him. He says, well, just explain to me what's going on. Arioch tells him he does not go into meltdown mode. He says, go to the king, give us some time, and we'll get this figured out. The reason that Daniel was wise in this, along with his calmness, his patience, his tact, is because he was wise, because he knew that God alone could get him and his friends out of this jam. And Daniel's God is nothing like the gods of the Babylonians. So let's see what happens next. Verse 19. you got to remember, you've got Daniel, you've got his three friends praying, okay? And this is what happens. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. i got a question for you. You get revelation. You put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Your neck is on the line along with the necks of probably hundreds of others. Okay? The king is nuts. All right? He's just nuts. That's what Barney Fife would call him. He's nuts. All right? He's nuts. Okay? And it's like, it's like, what would you do? I know what I would do. I would run. I would not walk. I would run to Arioch. I would run to the king and say, I got it. I got it. I got it. Stop everything. Hold up the swords, all right? These machines they use to tear people limb from limb, hold them up just for a second here. I got it. But look what Daniel does. He doesn't run to the king. He doesn't run to Arioch. He runs to his God. And he says, thank you. He says, thank you. And his thanksgiving, you can read about it in the next few verses. It says, Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel went on to give thanks to God. And his giving thanks looked like this. God, thank you. You are wise. You are God. These, these 
idols, these things that these people around me are worshiping. They're not God. You are God. And you are wise. And you are the revealer of mysteries. You are, you are wise and you are powerful. I mean, that's, what, that's, a, that's a pretty awesome giving thanks prayer right there, all right? And that's what Daniel does. Now, he, he goes to Arioch, and you can see in verse 25 that he tells Arioch, I got it, I got it, Arioch, inform the king. And it's interesting because Arioch does run, okay? See, Arioch does not want to do this job that's been given to him. So he does. It says he hurried. He ran to the king. And finally, Daniel gives, Daniel is brought before the king. And before he even gets into the dream, he tells the king, he tells him, look, you've got to understand, I am just a man. I'm not, any, I'm not any better than any of your other advisors who could not do anything with this task you put before them. But I am different than in this, from them in this. I serve God, the God of everything. And he is the revealer of mysteries. So before he even gets to the dream, he makes it very clear to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, it's God you should give thanks to for this. All right. We finally, in verses 31 through 35, we get to take a look at the dream here. We get the dream before the interpretation. And if you'd never read this before, you'd be like, what is this crazy dream that's got everybody so shook up? And it's here that we finally get it. I mean, Daniel, who wrote this, was a great writer, I mean, to hold this off this long. Verse 31 says this, You, O king, were looking, this is Daniel speaking, You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold. Its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continue to looking until a stone was cut. It was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff. From the summer flesh threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace was of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a mountain and filled the entire earth. So Daniel comes to the king and he gives him his dream that the king has told no one. And already King Nebuchadnezzar is probably like, wow, this, this guy's for real. That's exactly, I mean, did you see the detail in that? This, this Daniel, he's on to something here, okay? This is real. But then, this, he didn't just want to know what the dream was, he wants to know what it means. And I'm going to tell you something, guys, spring is coming. When it comes to dreams, I can tell you right now, spring is coming. You know why? Because this week I had my first dream of tornadoes. Okay, and that's my interpretation for you that, that spring is coming. And I wasn't even terrifying dreams. It was just, they were nice, they were nice friendly tornadoes or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, so, so getting back here to the king, his dream, tell me what this means. Actually, one of the tornadoes is out of camp, Eric. <laughs> we don't want any of that. Don't want any of that, do we? Okay, but there's a storm shelter out there, everybody. Okay, 
done chasing that squirrel. Let's jump back into it. All right. Okay, so I am going to, because we don't have time to, I'm going to break down this interpretation of this dream for you. Basically, and your Bible, if your Bible has little subheadings above parts of Scripture, um, you might see this already in your Bible, okay? Because this is the standard interpretation of the interpretation, all right, of what this means. The head of gold in this great statue is King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And the nation, the empire of Babylon. And it was gold, it was fine gold, it was impressive. It was, I mean, there's nothing when it comes to metals that's better than that. It was impressive. And we talked about that a little bit. JB did a little bit last week. Um, man, good grief, guys. I mean, Seven Wonders of the Ancient World, one of them was, was part of Babylon, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. I mean, this place was, was phenomenal. It was amazing. And it was incredibly powerful. And he says, that is, that is you, king. That head of gold is you. Now, following that, there will be arms and the chest of silver. And, and what that amounts to is the Medo-Persian empire that would follow and this this was not far away as we will see in in what we're going to look at even in daniel that's not that far away king nebuchadnezzar was not going to live forever all right and there would be an empire to follow because his would begin to weaken and then after that you would have the belly and the thighs of bronze all right and that's that's the greece empire the greek empire and and you might have heard of this little a, a little little guy in history by the name of Alexander the Great brings brings that in the to the world, and then following that, that below that you've got legs of iron, which kind of moves itself into feet of iron mixed with clay, and that is the incredibly long lived and powerful empire of Rome, the Roman Empire. Now there are. A number of details about that that are somewhat debated among, among Bible scholars. But this is, for the most part, and that's probably why you see it in your Bible, this is pretty well accepted. Regardless, even those who would say, that's not exactly the breakdown that we think that this has to do when it comes to ancient history. Even those would say, the big picture in this is God is in control of all of it. And if if you don't believe that, look how the dream ends. A stone cut without hands does away with the statue. And that stone would become a mountain that would fill the entire earth, and that kingdom would never end. And don't look now, guys, that's the kingdom that you're a part of as a believer in Jesus Christ. kingdom of Christ. Isn't that amazing that Daniel, this pagan king, (laughs) has a dream that includes God's work through his son coming into this world and conquering it. And that kingdom will reign. It's interesting to me, uh, I mean, so Daniel gives his interpretation, and right, the next thing you see is, is King Nebuchadnezzar makes it very, very clear that he knew his request from his wise people was unreasonable. You know why? Because look what he does. He doesn't just say, okay, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate that. No, not at all. Verse 46. 
King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present him an offering and a fragrant uh, and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries since you have been able to reveal this mystery. And the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon, while while Daniel was at the king's court. The most powerful pagan in the world ends the day on his face in front of an exiled Jew. That is mind-blowing. And Daniel makes it very clear in his writing, that the attention wasn't just focused on this Daniel. What did the king say? His attention was focused on the God of this Daniel. It was the God of Daniel that truly had the king's attention. And what we have here is we find out Daniel is no longer an unknown. And in the next chapter, we will see King Nebuchadnezzar finds out a little bit more about the power behind Daniel's friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This story just is mind-blowing to me. It is because this happened. This, This happened, guys. Daniel, as JB talked about last week, ripped from his home. He was made, he and his friends were brought into this foreign nation. They were made to study things that did not sit well with them and become proficient at them. You know, throwing the livers on the walls things, you know, and reading the stars and and abnormal. Daniel and his friends studied this. They had to learn all of that. They had to do all of these things. I don't think it probably sat that well with them, but they did it. They were told to do it. They were asked to do it, and they did. They were made to serve the king who conquered their homeland and butchered their family, their friends, their neighbors, the armies of their former king. More recently, in what we just looked at today, Daniel was given a death sentence along with the other wise men of Babylon from an seemingly unbalanced madman who knew himself that his request was completely impossible to fulfill. All of this is what Daniel has gone through, and yet he remains calm, collected, and in control. Why? How? It's very simple. Because Daniel knew who was really in control. It's a repeated theme throughout our Bibles. It's a repeated theme throughout history. God is still in control. And this rock cut out without hands still reigns. This kingdom still reigns. And this kingdom will not be overcome. And you know the crazy thing about it? 2,500 years later, God still asks the exact same thing from his people that he asked from Daniel. 
Next week, he'll ask from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God, it's, it's not difficult to understand. It's sometimes difficult to do. When God says, trust me. I've got this. I am in control. I know how this story ends. You know how this story ends. It ends with my son bringing my people 